The National Children's Study will follow the health and development of more than 100,000 children across the United States, starting from before birth until age 21. What do physicians need to know about this ambitious, federally financed project? What are its main goals? How is it organized? And what factors will the study examine? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Future Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Peter Scheidt, pediatrician and a medical officer at the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, where he is the director of the National Children's Study. Welcome, Dr. Scheidt. Thank you. Glad to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about the driving force behind this large study? Yes. The development of this study began in the late 1990s with a presidential task force called the President's Task Force on Environmental Health Risks and Safety to Children that was convened by the President and charged with developing national strategies to reduce and control the risks of environmental exposures that our children may have. It stems from emerging concerns during that period about the possibility that a variety of environmental exposures may cause harm to children, certain chemical exposures, exposures to behavioral experiences such as violence and even biologic exposures, infection, and diet. And also concerns about a number of conditions that our children experience such as autism and learning disabilities and even growth problems that may be caused by environmental exposures, but um, the evidence is not clear. The convergence of these concerns led this task force to realize that in order to answer those important questions, it would require a large study of different life stages that could link exposures to outcome and be able to study infrequent conditions such as autism, diabetes, birth defects, and so on. And that's basically where the impetus to start this study came from. I mention that and emphasize that because it's important to understand that this didn't come from a couple of scientists or physicians in laboratories at NIH or CDC or wherever thinking, well, this would be a neat thing to have a study like this. It came from a very intentional, very high-level effort in our government to address the major unanswered questions about health and environment that our children face and this large intentional answer to those important questions. Once this recommendation was made and the agencies began to just start the very early thinking and planning about this study, Congress passed the Children's Health Act of 2000 that authorized NICHD and the other lead federal agencies, the CDC, EPA, and the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, to go forward with the planning and the implementation of the study. Okay, so starting in the year 2000 then, Congress appropriated funds for this, and gradually that amount has been increased in anticipation that the study will start in 2009. Actually, not so. Oh, no. Okay, please clarify then. That's where we learned the difference between authorization and appropriation. Congress authorized a sum of money to begin work, but that was only permission. It didn't actually provide additional funds to any of those agencies. The planning for the first six years of this study actually came from the existing budgets of the agencies that I mentioned. It was in 2007 that Congress actually appropriated separate funds specifically targeted for the implementation of the National Children's Study. 
Now, are there funds appropriated to continue the study from 2009 on? There are not because the federal budget doesn't work that way. All programs carried out by the federal government are appropriated on a yearly basis. But once they become established and integrated into the budgets of the agencies that carry them out, they pretty well continue unless there's a direct effort to stop them. And that's where we are now with the National Children's Study Although, as it's implemented, the costs to get it into the field increase over several years before they begin to level out and then ultimately decrease. Clearly, it is going to require a lot of resources. Do you think there's any validity to the criticism that a project of this magnitude might strip resources away from smaller, more focused research on pediatric and perinatal issues? I don't think so. We've been asked that question often. And the assumption is that if this study was not funded, that those funds would go into the investigator-initiated research activities or other different studies. And that's not the case because Congress has not decreased or allowed the National Children's Study to impact the other existing federal budgets and has appropriated funds for this budget specifically unrelated to other federal programs. And I point out that the nature of this study is such because of the size and because of the many measures and lines of investigation included in one study. It is able to investigate certain conditions because of its size and the interactions of many different factors in ways that a smaller study just simply can't do. So the reason this study is so important is the ability to do things that other lines of research and other mechanisms simply can't do. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Future Medicine, on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Peter Scheidt, Director of the National Children's Study at the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. We're discussing what physicians need to know about the National Children's Study. There are multiple study locations across the country. Can you tell us a little bit about how these locations were selected? Yes, I can. The first major decision that we had to make in planning the National Children's Study was who would participate. And a good deal of work and deliberation went into determining that the best sample of participants would be a nationally representative sample of children in this country, basically based on the frequency of live births across the country, to represent the experience that all of our children and all the major groups of our children have. And this is because the exposure outcome relationships that the study will address need to apply to all of our children. And it also offers the best way to be sure that we don't miss key exposure factors that would be missed if we targeted this study for any one group or type of exposures. So it's a nationally representative sample. In order to develop that sample, we asked the help of the leading sampling statisticians at the National Center for Health Statistics who worked with us to develop a sample of 105 locations that are, we call them primary sampling units, that are selected largely as counties from the total of 3,141 counties across the country. And then within each of these counties, segments of the counties where the counties are large enough will be picked in a similar fashion to actually enroll women and participate in the study. 
So the women will be enrolled before they have the child, so during pregnancy or before they think about becoming pregnant, is that correct? Yes, it is. We will approach the women on a household basis primarily, but we will also, and this is why it's very important for physicians to understand not only the study but the approach that it's taking, we will also seek referrals from prenatal care providers for those women that we miss in the household recruitment approach. And we will certainly miss many women that we hope will be referred by referring pediatricians. And so with each of these segments in the 105 counties across the country, we will notify the communities, work with the communities to inform as much of the population as possible about the study, let women know in advance that the study is being conducted, and then contact them to ask if they would be willing to participate. And we'll contact households to identify women of childbearing age. And then any woman of childbearing age who may become pregnant over the four-year enrollment period will be followed. And if and when she becomes pregnant, will be invited to enroll and participate in the study. Any woman we encounter who is actively engaged in trying to become pregnant with a good probability of being able to become pregnant We will also invite them to participate and collect data and information from them actually prior to pregnancy so we can identify factors that may be influencing those very early weeks of pregnancy. So you're talking about gathering data and maybe some laboratory samples from the women and the children. Why not require that the fathers also participate in the study? We are inviting the fathers to participate in the study. Inviting, right, but as opposed to making sure every father participates. We can't make sure that anyone participates. All of the women and the families who participate are, of course, volunteers. But for those women who enroll in the study, we will ask that the partner or husband or the father of the children also participate by providing information and interviews and biologic samples as well as the mother. So, in fact, we are, as much as they're willing to participate, getting the fathers to participate as well. Do you anticipate any challenges in keeping the participants in the study for the 21-plus years? Oh, yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) And what are you going to do to try to encourage them to continue? It's very challenging. First of all, it's a big study with a fair amount of burden and quite a substantial commitment. And there are a number of things that we'll be doing to both encourage women to enroll in the study and then to stay with us once the study is underway. First of all, we will be offering an appropriate amount of compensation, financial compensation, for the inconvenience and the time that they put in in doing this. And it's appropriate to provide some incentive to participate, but not be so much as to be coercive. In addition, of course, we'll be making the case that this is a really important contribution to our children and our future children. And we hope that many women will just want to participate from that aspect and altruistic motive. We will do many things to make them feel both comfortable, belonging to an important effort, you know, such as celebrating birthdays, favors, and activities. But Probably the thing that will be most valued for participants will be the opportunity over time to learn additional information about their children and their children's environment. And the information that we can share with them, that we do obtain, that is available to share with them, we will do so. To some degree, we will also be sharing information to the communities where the participants will come from. 
that may benefit the communities as well. So our experience from the Women's Health Initiative, they did all of these things as well. The women who participated in that study reported back that the thing they valued most was what they learned about themselves and their health from participating in that study. And we think that'll end up being important for the participants in the National Children's Study as well. Now, if you have this captive audience of children for their first 21 years, is there any thought of continuing this on to adulthood for them? Yes, there is. And we think it would make all the sense in the world if this study is successful and if it gets this large cohort from birth all the way to adulthood as we plan it will, that it makes a lot of sense to not stop the study at that point. It would be in a position to provide an enormous amount of information to providers of adult care and to adults about the early origins of the many adult diseases and conditions that we experience, emphasized by the Barker hypothesis that we've read so much about recently and the emerging literature of how intrauterine and early life experiences influence all of our adult diseases that we experience. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Peter Scheidt. We've been discussing what physicians should know about the National Children's Study. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Future Medicine, on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. Thank you for listening.